Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. Guys, I'm officially on tour. I am so excited to hang out with you, but I need you to know this tour is a little different than anything you might have heard me or seen me do before. Still love Jesus, but I cuss a little, and that's what's gonna happen tonight, so get ready. Usually when I speak publicly, it's about how to grow and become a better version of yourself, and yes, I want to talk about that. Don't tell me that you can't do difficult things because that is one teeny tiny example of something that men will never have to deal with. But more than anything, I want to laugh. It's honestly been a really hard year for me and my kids. I just want to tell stories with my friends and laugh until we pee our pants a little bit. The second thing we're going to do is a live Q&A. Oh yeah, no, if you raise your hands, like you're in. <laughs> we get to learn and understand more about ourselves when we hear someone else's stories. The third thing that's different about this tour is that every single location has a bar. I wanted to have a girls night out. I wanted to have a place where you could get your sister, call your mama, get your neighbor from down the street, and you could come out and you could have a glass of cheap wine and you could watch a show and laugh and have fun and meet new people. The fourth thing, don't bring your husband. <gasps> yeah, don't, I said it. If you got a husband that will laugh about period jokes, bikini waxes, mom stories, bring him on down. If you're not sure if your man thinks that's funny, he doesn't. Come by yourself and make friends. Treat yourself to a night where you are dating you. It's gonna be a lot of fun. That is my number one intention with this tour is that I want to have fun and I know that we will. So check out the show notes to get a link to upcoming cities. We got Phoenix, Salt Lake City, Boston, and Toronto coming up. More cities will be added. Again, check out the show notes. Put the word out. Love you. I'll see you soon. What is the next generation of that? The people in any category right. who didn't give a fuck, who right. tried weird shit. Like, would we have Smashing Pumpkins right. if someone wasn't afraid to try weird shit? Right. So what I'm <laughs> what I'm like dreaming that you're like, no, no, don't worry. Well, don't worry. Because, <laughs> because, because check this out, right? Put it through a slightly different lens, okay? Right now, 
there's a couple of artists who are, who are playing the biggest stadiums on the planet who are just like, they are the, they are the tours of the moment. You know, Beyonce, Ed, Chili Peppers, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Taylor is on stage playing her, her songs across all the eras of her life. It's a, just a brilliant, creative legacy play for an artist who's as contemporary and relevant today as she's ever been. So somehow she's telling people, I've been around, I've made this incredible music throughout my life, and yet Midnight's and Folklore and Evermore are the last three albums that she's made. And she's playing those songs in front of 80,000 people getting the same reaction as Shake It Off, if not better, (laughs) if not better. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Because you have this long history and love of music, Mm. and I'm so curious about how today's pop plays into that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I never really knew the difference when I was a kid. It was just great music, and I realized now that I was listening to pop and rock and R&B and soul and reggae and indie and heavy metal and everything, right? Because I was just rifling through my parents and my brother's record collections like everybody does. And then it was only when I kind of got into the quote-unquote industry that I re- – and, and in particular toward the end of the 90s, early 2000s, the whole pop thing was going through such a renaissance – and there was a strong like line in the sand of which which side were you on? You know, were you were you listening to Instinct and Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears, or were you over here, you know, trying to find listening to you know Blink One Eighty Two and waiting for the hives to show up? And it was like very and then somewhere around there, rap was just building and building and building and was just gonna like scorch all of it. Right. <laughs> so you know what I mean in terms of numbers and success and and influence and inspiration. So. It felt very genreified and very divided in a way. Your T-shirt told you told told people a lot about who you were. I think it still does. I think there's still that fan, that 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 obsession as a fan to want to really ride for your favorite art artists. But um, pop has changed shape, and I don't think it's just me that's embraced it differently. I think I think there's before Lord. And there's after Lord. <laughs> Gosh, right? you're so right. Yeah. And there's before Billy and after Billy. And yeah. these people and before the weekend and after the weekend. Yeah. I mean, you can't ignore the fact that the Hills, one of the most uncompromising sounding songs of its time. I mean, I remember listening to it the first time and thinking, did anything not get mixed through distortion on this song? And it was like number one for thirteen weeks or something. Yeah. So it, it's changed in our time. It, pop has changed in our time. What do you think the definition of pop is? Technically, it's just popular, right? I mean, that's how everybody always refers to it, especially if you're on the wrong end of that conversation. You're like, well, you can't accuse me of being popular. Like, it's, if I'm popular, I'm popular. But I think when the industry got hold of it during the, that really sort of heady time at the start of 2000s, what it, what it represented to me was just controlled, very controlled. Yeah, you're right. You know, um, everything was just like run from outside of the studio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From off the stage, it was all being kind of run. That was the impression. Um, 
And I think that what's happened in recent times is is pop is a lot of pop artists, successful pop artists, um, have decided that they don't want to be spoken for, they want to be spoken with, and they don't want people to make decisions for them. They want to be in charge of their own successes and their own failures. Yeah. And and they want to own them. And I think that that's now why you've got this generation of what I'd consider to be developed pop um, careers, late twenties, getting into their thirties coming out and saying, you know, we've learned a thing or two and, um, you know, we want to tell our side of things. I wonder too, though, how, sounds like a terrible thing to say, but how this affects their success. Mm. Because if you were brought up in an industry where unfortunately or fortunately you were sort of puppet mastered into the place that you were in, Mm. and then you find yourself a decade into the process or 15 years into the process and you're trying for the first time to one, be a grown-up, mm. and two, figure out what your sound actually is and who you are. And also what business is when someone's not right. feeding you the terms. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, well, that's a good question. And I think we either have an answer or we're close now because, um, so I always use the lunch table analogy. It works here again, so I'll do it again. When I was kind of making my way through the industry from a media point of view, radio, t- MTV, all that sort of stuff, Radio 1, um, I didn't realize it at the time, but there was a table and, and sitting around it was sort of every gateway occupation, like uh, lawyer, PR, agent, manager, media, you know, you and I are there, retail's there, promoters are there. And artists would come up and they'd be like, hey, I've got some talent, I've got some ideas, I've got something creative I want to say. And, and everyone would sort of like talk amongst each other and decide whether they could sit down. And what happened sort of at the turn of this new kind of this new kind of independent mindset within the pop music community, it, it, it happens simultaneously with this global phenomenon of that, which is that the arts, all of a sudden, artists start to realize that, well, hang on, media, okay, I got social media, you know, record labels, well, I could just release this now myself. I have a pretty easy gateway to putting music up on streaming services. And guess what? Back in the day, you used to tell me whether or not I could put it out in different countries based on whether or not I was worthy of your investment. Now I put it on a streaming service, you can't tell me anything. It's out everywhere. It's built that way. Right. Somebody used that, right? Touring. Well, I'll just market myself through social media, sell tickets independently, and build my touring mechanism that way and do it appropriately and learn the business in real time. That didn't work for everybody. I'm making it sound super simple. As I'm sure there's a lot of people who struggled with that and just didn't have the mindset and didn't make it past a certain, you know, point on the road but a lot of people did and what the and what the lunch table what happened was the lunch table changed and every all of us got replaced by the artists and the fans and then we all came up as record labels and the media hey can i talk to you <laughs> and they all talked amongst each other and went, well that depends you know like and it flipped on its head so we had to start really recognizing like what are we bringing to the artist that's valuable versus what value do you bring to the industry that we can actually maximize for your benefit and for ours it, it flipped they're yeah. like, well, I don't know if I want to talk to you because you don't seem to speak my language and I don't really like the way you talk to artists or I don't really like your, the way your label pays me or I don't really, you know what I mean? And they got to ask real questions. And I think getting back to your question about how it affects their career, I think that if, if I'm sure there are pop stars who tried to do this 10, 20 years ago that just was just caught up in the undertow, right? Couldn't make it to the top. Um, it was designed to confuse. Now I think... I think if you if you decide to break out, look, you know, I'm going to take a break and do things my way. I'll, I'll I'll speak when I want to speak. I'll tell my truth. I'll figure it out. Um, 
you find that the fans actually galvanize around you and that it strengthens your foundation for quote unquote career. Yeah. Because people just want the, they just want your truth, right? They just want as honest a person as possible so that when they hear the music, they believe it. Yeah. What do you think it takes to make it at this point? In pop specifically. I think it's the same as it always has. I, I, I think it's an equation of um, ha- listening, having an inner voice that cuts through, realizing that there's something in you that you really need to express yourself through, refining that voice so that you get closer to your truth and better at expressing yourself and then just work mm. and just recognizing when an opportunity arises, um, removing your anxiety or your ego which can often collaborate to prevent you from actually saying yes to the right thing yeah um being open you know a a risk is only a a risk if you're scared to take it really in a weird way and it probably doesn't make sense if you try to actually pull that apart it's probably a stupid statement but (laughs) my point is is it's like if you know it speaks to your ultimate passion and the vision that you have then you're going to say yes to it and you're going to work out and if it doesn't work, you learn from it, you move on. So it really, it's, just, it's the same equation in a way it's always been. The only thing that's changed is that the tools that the creative person gets to use now are far more in their favor. Do you feel like there's a specific genre of music right now that's sort of managing that particular equation better than others? Well, I mean, it's funny, you know, the way we think about genres has changed as well. Um you know, I think I think a genre matters to a community. It matters to a culture. It matters to an environment where a music or a, or a, a message was born out of. And I think that true artists always stay true to that. Bad Bunny being a classic example of someone who can sell out stadiums all over the world now, but continues to invest his rewards into his community and continues to bring the world to his language and to what is important to him and the people he loves and the people he wants to support. And so I think that I think that the idea of like, you know, genres and boxes and whatnot worked with marketing really was the defining the defining sort of um, tool. Mm-hmm. We, you know, Billy Corgan said something really cool to me the other day. He said the problem with the entertainment industry is always trying to do what's known. And the difference is that the artist is a true artist is always trying to discover something that's unknown. Right. So it's uncomfortable. And so what happens now is that a true artist who understands their vision and, and knows what it is they want to say and recognizes that and p- lays the tools on the table and learns how to use them and truly studies the industry, they don't need to fit into what's known. They can, they can drag us into the unknown. Which, by the way, that's the other thing that he didn't mention, but I, I want to add to that, which is that a lot of times, you know, we always assume that audiences need familiarity. On a mass scale, yeah, it makes sense because we don't have enough time to think about new all the time. We're just trying to get through the day. But there's a huge appetite for something fresh. Yeah. There is. You know, yeah. otherwise we wouldn't have this amazing, incredibly talented brother-sister combo kind of lulling us through these really deep and personal almost dark lullabies and go on to be Billie Eilish and Phineas. I mean, it's like that. if you told me 10 years ago that was going to be the biggest artist on the planet, I'd have been like, that's a niche artist at best. Yeah. It was a different time. Yeah. How many artists within the industry where most people in the world would recognize their name Mm. do you think have that true artist nature i couldn't tell you because i think as i've gotten older in this i'm less i think about it in 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 less of a sort of narrow framework of like you're a real artist and you're not i definitely had phases like that 
because I needed to define my identity through the music mm-hmm. and it was easier to do that through dismissing things as much as embracing things. That's kind of how we do it when we're kids is we're like, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks says a lot more to you about who I am than I love that in a weird way, right? That's why we're always on the playground or at school or college or when we're growing up, we're like, ah, that's just, that's just shit, right? Yeah. It's probably one of the most overused terms at a certain point in your life is like, that's bullshit. I try not to create a hierarchy of who's deserving of that term anymore because I think creative is a is a God-given right. Creativity is a God-given right. Everybody's creative in, in many ways. And, I, and I've realized that the person at home who's painting for their own purpose is no different to the person who's standing on stage in front of 80,000 people. Um, it's about purpose. It's less about the term, are you a true artist? And it's more about, do you have true purpose in what it is you're trying to achieve? And if so, and you can be true to that, then live your life and be happy and pursue that. It is competitive, Rachel, and it, and it is really hard for artists to stand out and it is hard to break an artist, but it always was. Yeah. And we fooled ourselves thinking that we had a magic equation. We never did because if we did, half my favorite artists would have been 10x bigger and still around as opposed to have broken up after three albums because they couldn't pay their bills. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way, as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. 
If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas, the food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. I guess what I'm searching for as a music fan mm. and coming to you sort of thinking you're like the godfather who could answer this question <laughs> is I feel sometimes... I'm going to sound like a grandpa right now, but I feel sometimes... You just called me a godfather. I know. No, in a, in a respectful <laughs> okay, way. Um, okay. No, we can't be that far off in age, brother. Uh, no, that like, I'm, I look at some of my favorite bands. Mm. I went and saw the Chili Peppers like a month ago and yeah. I was just dying. It was amazing. Yeah. And I sit in a stadium like that and I think, will this ever come again? <laughs> will we ever have... Metallica again. Right. Will we ever have the Foo Fighters again? I know they're still here. Yeah, yeah. But what is the next generation of that? The people in any category right. who didn't give a fuck, who right. tried weird shit. Like, would we have Smashing Pumpkins right. if someone wasn't afraid to try weird shit? Right. So what I'm <laughs> what I'm like dreaming that you're like, no, no, don't worry. Well, don't worry <laughs> because 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 check this out. Right, put it through a slightly different lens. Okay, right now. There's a couple of artists who are, who are playing the biggest stadiums on the planet who are just like, they are, the, they are the tours of the moment. You know, Beyonce, Ed, Chili Peppers, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Taylor is on stage playing her, her songs across all the eras of her life. It's a, just a brilliant, creative legacy play for an artist who's as contemporary and relevant today as she's ever been. So somehow she's telling people, I've been around, I've made this incredible music throughout my life, and yet... Midnights and Folklore and Evermore are the last three albums that she's made. And she's playing those songs in front of 80,000 people getting the same reaction as Shake It Off, if not better, if (laughs) not better. And she made those records with Big Red Machine, who are a couple of guys, super collaborative, Justin Vernon, Aaron Dessner. I mean, these, these are, they make weird shit. They make amazing, weird shit. Like if you go listen to a Big Red Machine album, it's beautiful. It's like like they're searching in the dark for for emotion through this kind of untapped filter of creativity. Like they make sounds and things and the way they make shit move. Like I haven't heard that before. I felt the emotion before, but I haven't heard it put together like that before. And now they've made some of the biggest music, Grammy Award winning, multi-platinum, record-breaking records with the... uh, one of the biggest artists of our lifetime. So, yeah, it's great when the Pumpkins come out of Chicago and make an album like Gish, which is like perfect hybrid of sort of the mission and grunge, and then go on to make Siamese Dream, which is, in my humble opinion, in the top 10 greatest albums of all time and is a masterpiece, right? And then do a double album, and then... Blah, blah, blah. But their weird is no different to that weird, mm. right? And then you got Beyonce, who's come out and made one of my favorite albums of the last 20 years, which is just this beautiful mix of what is modern about club music 
you know, shouts to the Dawn Ricards and amazing people kicking down electronic music doors and just doing incredible alien shit, right? And Denny Tenaglia and, you know, all this classic sort of Detroit, Chicago house music. And she's turned it into this huge tour, which people are losing their shit over. That's not normal. Right. So the abnormal is always there. Do I think that rock? Why not? My, my answer is always, why not? Right. There's a great moment when Noel Gallagher came out in the press back around whenever it was. I don't know. I can't remember what the date was now, but he came out in the press. He was like, I'm not sure that there's ever going to be another band that's going to move the culture, or move, the, move the community and, and, go, and bring people together in the UK the way Oasis did. I've been waiting for it. I just don't think it's going to happen. And a week later, Arctic Monkeys arrived with I Bet You Look Good on the dance floor and broke Oasis's debut album record. Oh, that's amazing. So you just don't know, you know? And, and I think that we get, it's easy for us to get emotional in moments like that when we're seeing our favorite band because it reminds us that we've grown older with these bands. And, and they're getting older. And they're getting older. Yeah. And so the, it, it creates a a time stamp on something, but don't like, I can only speak for myself. Like I never want to get to a place where the unknown isn't available to me. Like I love not knowing if, if there's something around the corner. I love it. Yeah. I didn't know Yeet was going to be one of the biggest artists of the year on our platform. When my kid played me Yeet, I was like, this shit sounds, I've never heard it. This, I've, what is this? Like, I've never heard these sounds and this voice and this whole, con- like, uh. Can I speak to this guy? He's like, no, no, he won't speak to me. So it's like, <laughs> so it's like, that, that's 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 new information. So are you coming into this industry, the interviews you do, the artists that you get to speak with? It's a sense of curiosity, exploration. Like, obviously, anyone who mm. is a fan of your work can feel the passion that you have for this industry. But what? After all of these years, what's keeping you here going like, I'm yeah. fucking excited for yeah. the unknown? <laughs> um, it's changed over time. I think at first it just played into this need for, you know, I just it just became my identity. It became the thing that m- was me. Like um, my friends were into sports and my brother was into this and everyone, you land into something, you know, and music really was very good to me at a young age and was Were you a musician or just loved it? I just loved it and then I learned how to play instruments enough to be able to make music and so I was always drawn into the room to create. It was just always music because I think um it allowed me to feel things that I, I wasn't really accessing in other ways. And I'm sure that's the same for for any super big music fan. That's kind of the equation. That's the trade, you know? Mm-hmm. What keeps me showing up every morning wanting to play records and stuff is the feeling that I get. Which is really, I, I, I still have not really gotten any closer to defining how that, how it feels. It's just, it's a, it's an energy, it's an energy shifter. Like it, it changes the shape of my life. Like I can come in in a bad mood and leave in a great mood, and all yeah. of a sudden opportunities are available. Music is medicine. Music is magic. Mm. And and it is medicine, and it and it serves us so beautifully in the human experience. It's like it is just a part of how we communicate, not only with others, but within ourselves. And there's not a lot of opportunity to connect those two things. Most of the internal dialogue doesn't really make it externally. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's why therapy is yeah, so great. Yeah, I was like, for good reason. <laughs> that's why therapy is so great, right? Because it's yeah. that's the one hour, if you can afford it and you, and you have the courage to do it, well, you get to do that. Yeah. Music just does it, and it's so good at doing it. That we don't even, and I feel bad even sort of acknowledging it in those terms because it's kind of better to not acknowledge it. 
It's so perfect for us as a species that we don't even really come to terms or, or honestly acknowledge how it helps us to the degree that it does. We just think of it as maybe entertainment, background music, a night out, a hot trend. We give it so many different tags, but its purpose really is to help us express ourselves, even if we're not making it, understand our, ourselves inside better so we can be better on the outside at sharing. Does that make sense? Yeah. At what point in your life did you find yourself inside of radio? Because that's where this all begins. Young right? age. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I, I got into TV first because it was just a gig, right? Like I, I didn't want to work in bars anymore and I got an opportunity to just be a tape hop at a, at a TV channel in Auckland. And then I, I said, oh, look, I mean, no one's hosting that show, right? It's got to be better pay and it's got to be more fun than putting the tapes in the machine. So, and I like to recommend songs to my friends. Let's see if this fits. And I think, you know, I was in denial for a while because I've always felt that my, my natural place has been in the studio. And I still do, if I'm really honest. As a producer? Mm-hmm. I've wondered this about you for a sure. lot. For sure, for sure, for sure. And I still make music. And I still make music at home even without executing on it. Like it's, it is, I think, ultimately a big part of what has um, driven me th- into the world of music as a desire to participate. And I think because I also have this other side, which is this, I like to share and I like to recommend stuff and... And I, I guess I've always had a way of communicating because I was good at doing speeches as a young kid at school. I get good grades at that. So I guess they found each other. And I resented the media for a while because I felt like I was taking the easy option, the safe option. The hard option is to risk it all and figure out whether your music's ever going to make it. That's, yeah. When people say get a real, when people say you want to be a musician, get a real job, oh my days. <laughs> Do you know how easy a real job is compared to being a musician? That's so true. Yeah. You have to risk it all every day. And you have to remind yourself, if you're an artist, whether you're an actor or a musician, and I'm not saying that this is any harder than being a surgeon or a rocket scientist or Or a janitor or exactly or teacher or working in philanthropy or helping the community. Every job has its purpose and every job requires commitment, dedication, and is challenging. No question about it. And they all make up one big, beautiful life experience where if it all works well, everybody's able to support each other. But I'm saying it from the point of view is that as long as I was growing up, the answer was a musician, get a real job. Yeah. And so I'm just saying that if we're qualifying all those other things as having purpose, this has purpose and it requires the same commitment and the same risk. And you wake up every day and you're like, man, is today going to be the day that I succeed or quit? <laughs> it's literally that or yeah. that a lot Will of times. Will I be able to make rent this month? Right. Yeah. When does the dream come to an end? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I do think that in the arts that doesn't get acknowledged enough. And I think I probably felt like maybe I, I had sort of made my decision by leaning into radio and TV. And it took me years and it took me some one good, one friend of mine to take me aside and kind of just, just sort of with words, just slap me and say, look, you want to be with us, but we need you over here because you are one of us, but you need to help us reach an we audience. An inside man. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And once Who he said, it, yeah. and once he said that to me, I was way more chill about it, making music up fun again. I didn't feel like I was sort of um, choosing. I had to choose. I didn't have to choose. Yeah. I just, I choose on the day. 
So you're in Auckland, you mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. You get this mm-hmm. on-air hosting mm-hmm. gig. Mm-hmm. And then you – did you end up in the UK? I'm not – Yeah, so I did that for yeah. a few years, and then, I, and then I sort of jumped ship over to the United Kingdom. I, I had a good, a good lead. I had a, a really great guy from New Zealand who was running MTV Europe and, and a really good dude. Um, and he was like, look, if you come over here, you know, I won't, I won't ignore your call. Like, I'm not going to give you a gig, but like, if you ever want to sort of get a coffee or whatever, I think he liked the fact I was from New Zealand. We got on pretty well immediately. And, uh, this guy, Brent Hansen, and I mean, I just stuck at it. I worked at a record store, secondary record store for like eight, nine months. Awesome. And then I just got this, was similar experience to, to, to New Zealand. I got a foot in the door behind the scenes doing, being a production assistant on a show and then just bided my time, bided my time until there was like a, an opportunity and was like, hey, I can jump in front of the camera, you know. But what I didn't realize was that actually I was much more suited to radio and I think I thought I was a TV presenter, but I think that's probably one of the third, that, that's like way down the pecking order of what I'm naturally inclined to do. Why better at radio than TV? Because TV requires you to be able to feel comfortable in a certain way. The way you present things, you have to be able to um, be yourself, but also project in a certain way. And that's why when people say, you know, oh, they've got the it factor. Like, that's why, you know, great TV presenters, great, like, interviewing is different. Like, presenting TV is tough. And that likability factor, not everyone has it. Yeah. I don't really have it. Like I, I've done my I've done my hours on TV presenting, but I couldn't honestly say I look ever look back at any of it and go, "Wow, Zane, you look really comfortable." <laughs> but like, but but like, not that I ever watch it back anyway for that very reason. But the radio thing, because of the lack of cameras, or if the cameras were there, it was just they were vicarious. They weren't focused. They weren't trained. I wasn't trained on them. Yeah, allowed me to um, uh, just find that level of comfortability that I think cameras often remove. They're tough. Cameras are tough, man. Yeah, they are. They're hard. To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market. Because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash rach thrivemarket.com slash rach this episode is brought to you by progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly 750 dollars on average plus auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You're coming up in, you get your first radio job, is that? In London, yeah. Okay. yeah. And what year is this? Mm, I, I want to say early 2000s, start of the millennium, okay. like 2001, 2000, 2001. How was working in radio early 2000s different than it would be today? <laughs> Uh, I mean, everything's <laughs> changed. But okay, this and is nothing's gonna, changed. Radio still right. Go on. Is it's probably a very dumb question, but I don't know. Did you no. you picked your own music to play on the radio? Always. Is that part of the gig? Well, okay. no. Well, no. For a very short period of time, I worked within a playlist, but I would still move it around, and I would just I was doing overnights. No one's listening on overnights, right? So I was just like, oh, I'll play this. I'll play this, you know. Yeah. And then by the time I got my own one, I said, okay, I'll play your playlist because it was a good playlist. It was XFM on Capital Radio. It was an alternative radio station. I like playing those those songs. But I was like, I need a few free plays and stuff. It was I, I knew straight away because I'd come from MTV where I'd programmed the, the alternative music show that I'd been doing. I, I knew that I, I recognized really early on that that was probably the most valuable thing that you can achieve in what I do, which is kind of, um, you know, music, um, recommendation, selection, curation, whatever you want to call it, more than the, more than the sort of the, the monetary incentives and whatever – like I, I was pretty adamant that I would get myself into a place where I would have the ability to choose what I want to play. And then once I got that, I would do everything I could to never let that go. Mm -hmm. Because that, that's where the joy is for me, is the programming of something, the creating the mood. And is that something you program every day? Yeah, I mean, it's, the way it works now is that, you know, I, I'm really open about my taste and I'm really into any, if people know what I like. I've got broad taste. It's got to be authentic and great and exciting. The team come in with a long list of records. I'll just play whatever I feel at the time. And then I have this Apple Music thing in front of me, which is connected to an account and often just play it off that. And so I just make, yeah, I mean, I never stick to a script except for the one or two times that we have to kind of support or we want to support something that's like, you know, New Music Daily cover or a feature. But it's always been about, it's always been about selection for me because I think that if you really want to put a recommendation on something, um, and I'm not a critic, I don't choose music to be rude about it. I, I wouldn't, that's a waste of a free yeah, play. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, oh, I could play 20 songs and I'm only going to choose 15 I like because I want to choose five I don't. So I can, to me, I always felt like critics, I get it because you get a list of albums and your job is to tell people and you're great critics out there. But to do that on radio is just, is kind of, it felt indulgent to me. It's yeah. like, I need people to know that I don't like music. <laughs> How random. And I used to get a lot of criticism for that in the UK. Like, why don't you play something you don't like? It's like, well, because I get to play what I like. So I'm going to take every opportunity and play everything I like. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of how it's always been. And it, it, as I figured out early on, it's definitely the thing that I'm, I'm most protective of is my ability to sort of kind of make it feel spontaneous. At what point in that process did you start interviewing artists? That was very early on. I mean, that was in, that was in New Zealand because, again, you know, I, I think I've always liked conversation. I've always been curious. I didn't recognize what it means to me today then. To me, it was just like, oh, I get to be in a room with someone I think is great. Why would I say no to that? You know, I'm a fan. It really was always, it's always been from a fan perspective. And I think what happened was there was, I mean, the first person I ever interviewed on camera was uh, the bass player at the time for this band called the Lemonheads. Hmm. 
Um, yeah, Lemonheads, a guy called Evan Dando's band. And uh, the bass player's name, Australian guy, his name was Nick Dalton. And I interviewed him because they were in town doing a show. And I guess he drew the short story and they had to do the interview. And I liked it. And my boss liked it. And so I did a couple more and a couple more. And then it just was like anyone that came through New Zealand would sort of come through my studio. And I had like four shows, live shows a week, not dissimilar to how I'm doing it now in the evening. And I, I sort of interviewed everybody. And then it became location work as well. So I'd be out there at festivals. And like, I mean, that show tape of mine that I had that I came to the UK with was lofty. I mean, it was lofty. It was like Corgan, Cornell, Meatloaf, Garth Brooks, Katie Lang, Beastie Boys. Like it was cool. intensely stacked. Yeah. Helmet. Like <laughs> rad shit. Uh so I think that helped sort of get get a bit of attention out in the UK, but that that was always a thing for me. But um, I think I I think I was just bluffing a lot in the beginning. How has the interview <laughs> style changed? I mean, it's hard to it's hard for me to, to 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 quantify that, but I know how it's changed for me, and I used to treat it like an assignment, and now I treat it like an adventure. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah. I Do you prepare to, for the interviews? That's exactly what I'm saying. Like when I started out, I would be like fastidious. Like I'd write questions out in an order and assume it was going to go that way. And when it didn't, I'd be like, where do I go now? You yeah. know, I'd catch myself out. And I think I learned to do what you do and other great conversationalists do, which is to take your question from the last answer. And listen, most importantly, listen. I wasn't listening enough. Yeah. And, um, I, and I didn't for a long time. And I had great conversations and, and did really well. But the last sort of six years, seven years has been easily the most enjoyable time for me because um, n not because the, the numbers are bigger and it's in America and it's been a much really rewarding experience in a lot of ways. But because um, when I sit down to talk with somebody, uh, I really am just in this intangible space i don't i my only preparation now is i listen to the music or i watch the movie or i read the book on the rare occasions i do other stuff and i just try and catch catch a feeling in it yeah and just ride the feeling yeah i'm the same i don't prep and in fact coming here today i sort of wanted to go back and review like the last 10 things that you and i was like no, no i'm a genuine fan of yours so i know what i know and that's sort of it because i want to be in the present moment I learned a long time ago that if I prepped too much, I was thinking about what I had prepped or what I had learned. Yep. Oh, that's an interesting idea. I want to weave it in as opposed yep. to sitting in yep. this moment and sort yep. of vibing with you what we're talking about. You figured out before I did, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I got told by somebody. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I went to a, a, a tr like a performance coach because I, I, I guess I was smart enough to realize I was not doing my best work and I'd be distracted by all the other things at Apple and it was really an intense period building being a part of the, 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 the people who sort of were at the start of, of Apple Music and being a part of the team that built Beats. One, I was very disorientated and distracted from this. And I still wanted to do this and I wasn't doing a good job. So I said, look, can you, can you just watch some stuff and give me some feedback? And she came back and was like, yeah, you don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, great. I mean, it, was that no blunt. Deal. it was that blunt. Yeah. I was like, that's the only thing I'm supposed to do. Do you handle that kind of feedback well? 
Yeah, I mean, I I had to because I'd hired. I was, we were paying money for that feedback, so it's like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, you're fired. Get out of here. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, well, give me some examples, and she gave me three or four really good examples from conversations right in front of me. I could see exactly what she was saying. It was just a, it was an it was an immovable object, right? Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't get around it, and so, and it was scary because then I had to kind of go in there and be like, okay, if I'm going to listen, then I can't, I can't come in with my own idea of what this is going to be. Like, yeah. I really have to listen. And the first few were a bit scary, but um, so glad I did. And sometimes I still bullet point out, but, you know, only because only when I'm listening to the music and I catch a feeling or I catch something that I know I've never asked before or an area where I've never delved in before, I'm like, I need to, yeah, I need to make sure I don't forget that. Yeah. I um, do feel like you have this sort of uh, supernatural ability to find the one thing it seems like that artist always wanted someone to ask them <laughs> and then you ask them which is why i wondered oh, if you prep yeah so i don't know Thanks. is that in do you do you see that in your interviews and is that an intuitive thing or that just sort of here here's my example uh you interviewed uh barbara streisand mm. and of all the millions of things you could ask her mm. You end up asking her about the design of her mm, room, mm, and you saw her mm, light up like mm. she had been waiting a lifetime. Because she's a designer, to ask her. yeah. Singing you, for her is yeah. like, oh, I can do that. I was born with that skill, but right. this is what I love. But you saw <laughs> the thing. Love singing, but you know yeah, I mean? you saw the thing she wanted someone right. to ask her, and I've seen you do that so many times. So you you know this. So and and I think anybody who's um dialed into the human experience okay so um you know when you go to a really good doctor and you think you're bringing them the problem and then they see the problem but then they recognize the problem is coming from somewhere else yeah it was actually just a symptom yeah so and this is all this happens all the time in every in every walk of life i'm i'm a i'm aware of this skill now so i see it all the time in people in retail, you know, someone's really good at what they do, you know. You come in thinking you want something else and they're not hustling you. So often they're selling you something cheaper. Commission's lower. But they see, no, 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 you're, you're going down the wrong road. It's all about observation and it's all about being um, aware of others and and letting that affect your own sense of self-awareness, right? Not separating the two. And so the Barbara Streisand example was super straightforward. You know, we went in. The team had spent hours prepping this room. It was meticulously done. Yeah. And she came in and was so incredible. I can't, I mean, have you ever met her? No. Oh, my days. I'm sure you will. She's so charming and amazing. She's everything you want to be in more, right? She's just incredible. True icon, carries herself with such grace and she's amazing. She comes in. Ah, oh, she greets everyone and everyone's just feeling, ah, oh, this is going to be great. And she's like, ah, oh, this is so great to have everybody. Can we just move that over there? It's so great to have everybody. Just move the light a little bit more to the thank you. Just a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. Do we need those flowers? Talks to her friend. I don't think we... Let's just get rid of the flowers. And she spent 45 minutes rearranging the room. And people felt like they had been blessed. <laughs> the crew felt like, ah, oh, so great having our work completely changed. Yeah. I wish everyone could do that. I mean, it was... It was like, she was like, she was like Obi-Wan Kenobi, yeah. dude. She was like, this is not the set that you want me to be in. And we were like, this is not the set we want her to be in. Let's change it. And she changed everything. And then she zeroed in on me when she was ready. And she was like, I love your sweatshirt. What, 
that's Dusty Rose. I love that sweatshirt. And she kept talking about it over and over again throughout the interview to the point where I ended up giving her my sweatshirt, by the way. I traded it for a signed album. It was the best trade ever. I've got it on camera. It was awesome. And the best part of that story was that I thought I was going to get out of it because it's it's a good sweatshirt. I like the sweatshirt. (laughs) She's like, what size is it? I go, it's a large, thinking, well, that gets me out of that because she's really tiny. She goes, that's my size. I was like, you're such a hustler. She's such a she hustler. is, man. She's like, you can you take her out of New York, but this is right there. Anyway, the reason why I went there, it was really clear to me that she has an eye as well as an ear. That what we hear all the time is this talent that just jumps off the record and is so emotional and amazing and immersive. And that's what's really made her famous. But what I saw was that she was way more interested in how shit looked. And then once we got talking about the room, she told us the stories about how she redesigns all of her guest houses periodically and does it in various time frames and whatnot. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, this is her jam. She's AD. She's Architectural Digest. She's like deep in this world. So that's why I went there. It was just an observation. Yeah. Just like you. It's an observation. You just got to watch. You just got to You said it before brilliantly. You got to be present. Be in the moment. And it serves all sides because you get to ask, you get to hopefully be in a conversation people want to be in because you stay there with them. And that's the moment they're in that moment. And it works for people like me who kind of, if I've left to my own devices, my anxiety rises to the surface. I'm very happy in this environment because I'm not thinking about the stuff I can't change. Mm. That's, you know, stoking the fire in my belly that makes me feel like the world's coming to an end. Uh, Is that anxiety something that's been with you your whole life? As long as I can remember. Mm. Yeah. How did that, if, if, and tell me if you don't want to talk about this, uh, how did that manifest when you took on a really big job like this that sort of split yeah. you from what you were doing back in London? At first it was great because it, 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 it was a perfect home for it. I just got to put all my anxieties into the job. Because <laughs> it needs a home, right? Yeah, that's real. It needs a host. Yeah. And so my job became a place of severe anxiety, which was kind of justified at the time, not to make it feel like it was horrible. It was amazing. It's been the most incredible creative and personally professional experience in my life, but very high, high mount, very steep learning curve for me. I didn't know about the intersection of tech and the arts. That's Apple's line. I came from media and music. And then I'm, we're trying to build a media service inside a streaming service. It very intense learning curve. Thank goodness I had like Eddie and Robert Kondrick and Jimmy Iovine and amazing people around. Um, and Elizabeth Derrico as well, who I haven't really spoken about, but was very instrumental in helping me understand how Apple worked, would give me real advice. And some really good people who really kind of helped guide me. Um, a woman I still work with called Amanda, just brilliant. Just, I'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing. She's like, look, this is, we can fix this. It's how easy. long ago was this? This is the beginning, the first year. Oh, but so how much? So 2015, 20, oh, okay. into 2016. Yeah. And so, but I was just, you know, I was, I was stressed out, man. And after a few years, I was like really stressed out. Did you ever have imposter syndrome? Only from an executive point of view, mm-hmm. never from a creative point of view. Yeah. Um, I had to learn how to be of value from a sort of... Um, creative executive point of view to, yeah. to add value to that conversation at a company as, as amazing as Apple. Yeah. I felt like I was completely out of my depth. I mean, I'm on, the, I'm trying to, to solve problems and be a part of the solution on the thing that the company I work for made. <laughs> yeah. That so, is- so every time I hang up, I'm like, well, what I just said <laughs> is just gas. That's the only thing that's right. actually tangible right, right. now. Right. So, 
it took me a while to figure that out. And it just, it's like anything. It's just, it's just commitment and time and, and being willing to learn and just take, take and take your L's and turn them into dubs and just keep moving forward. Right. And that's what it was. And so, and, and, and just get some strong mentorship. Like Jimmy was a very good mentor for me. He kept, I can't even imagine. he kept the creative side of me very, kept that fire very stoked. And then over here, you know, I had, you know, great people at Apple who were sort of saying, we actually think you are Apple. Just take your time and figure out how you can combine the two languages. I want to unpack both of those things. Uh, how did you keep the creative fire stoked? Was that through the artists that you got to sit with or? Yeah, it was just, it was, well, I was running the station. It was running Beats One with a couple of people and kind of being invested in the, in the artist, the artist side of it. We were very heavy on the artist radio. And I think that's a, I mean, you think back on that era now at one point or another where we had, you know, St. Vincent's mixtape delivery service alongside Elton John's Rocket Hour, which is still going, you know, alongside Drake OVO Sound Radio and Dr. Dre's Pharmacy. And then over here, you know, it was just, it was just insane the amount of artists that were helping us build this thing and investing this thing with great ideas and creative. That was like a very incredible time for me because I was just given this like front row seat in how artists think from a new, on a new playing field. They know how to make music. They know how to make videos. They know how to tour. They know how to. They, they've got their ecosystem kind of pumped, but you got to give them a chance to kind of build a, a space to to tell stories and talk to each other and play records that they like, and then you convince them that it's not just like this playlist radio. That it actually can be an ecosystem. It can be a, an experience, a world. That's wild. Because then it, the, when it dawns on them, like, hang on, so there's no difference between me working with a director on a great music video. There's no difference to that. And me doing this, like, okay, like OVO Sound changed the game because they built such a, an incredible aesthetic. The way it started, the music selections they chose, the way they would play Drake's albums back to back or the way that they would speak on whatever issues he had with artists or challenges he was going through in his career and his life through his music. He, they would play, like, I was, remember I was driving around LA, you know, and listening to him playing Summer 16 for like an hour. <laughs> And every time he played it again, every time he played it again, I was just getting more excited. You know, I was just like, oh my God, this is crazy. And then it would end and it would be like, six, 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 six. And it would start again. All summer 16, out front of four seasons, looking like a damn football team, all wearing one thing, looking for revenge. And like an hour of this, and I'm driving around like, looking for revenge. Like, and it dawned on me like, this was real life going on in his world and the people he was, he was what he was doing. But I was like, this is on our station. This is crazy. And I'm getting texts from my friends all over the world. Like what is going on right now, bro? Like what, what, what have you made? And I'm like, we have made an absolute like beacon of artistic and creative culture. Like it was so exciting and so amazing and it still is, but it's become a thing now. It's become a, it's perpetual. Yeah, for sure. Back then it was just like wild and it was wildly stressful, but wildly exciting. <laughs> and shouts to Drake and shouts to everybody who helped, helped us build that. Like Drake to me and, and Oliver and Future and that crew along with other people and Jimmy showed us how media could actually exist going forward for me in a subscription era. Mm. That it really was about being a, Sorry to go on, but I'm excited about this time. And I never get, no one ever asked me about this. They, they always talk to me about like the Radio One thing or whatever. But this is the thing, like, this yeah. is the biggest thing no, I probably sick. ever was a part yeah. of. Yeah, it's sick. ever. 
We built a radio station on a streaming service with Jimmy <laughs> Ivey. Like, that no one talks to me about it. I guess it's too new still. Wait, did I find the thing you've been waiting for yes. someone to ask you? I'm like, finally, someone wants to talk. I didn't even think you did. I just leaned in. I was like, we're going to talk about this now. <laughs> no, it's so rad, especially if you think of so like... So many stories. I, I love anybody's career who starts with like, I was, you know, the tape guy. And I figured if I jumped on air that maybe that would be a little bit better right. money. And then I took a chance and I knew a guy in the UK. And then I, right. and it just keeps organically moving to the next thing. Right. And if you talk to the people who whose career stands the test of time, it's decades long. It's them continually putting themselves into situations where they're like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. But I think this is a thing. Yeah. Which sounds like what you guys were in. Yeah. We, and we were just moved by it. Like, yeah. like, we just saw what it could be. Like, and also, you know, when you get a phone call, you know, hey, do you want to take a leap, move to LA, work for Apple, build a radio station with Jimmy and Trent Reznor? It's like, nah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So sure, it seemed like at the time when it was announced, it was like, whoa, you're leaving the BBC, yeah. leaving Radio 1, this is your legacy. Yeah. To me, I was like, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> like, what what was that like personally for your because did you have a family that you had to move here and yeah, we all culture moved. shock was that or you guys loved LA it was such a vibe it was a mix of everything really yeah. I mean there is no one easy answer there and no family whoever goes through a, a, a shift in lifestyle or life mm -hmm. or moves around for one reason or another be it for positive or for challenging it's ever going to be as simple as one thing right? right you can have good days you can have tough days sometimes your kids can have a great day at school sometimes your other kids going to feel bullied you know sometimes they're going to come home from work and be like wow we really solved something today I think we're on to something and then next day I'm like this whole thing could fall apart yeah. it seems right yeah. and then my wife is, is going through her thing as well like we're a real family like we really are a unit and you know um it was tough at times but it was also incredibly exciting and I was very very happy to leave Radio 1 not because I wanted to because I was proud of it of what we'd done like I was like no one gets to walk away and put, a, and put a ribbon on yeah. something and feel good about yeah. it, right? A lot of times we either stick around too long, we let go, you know, and that's and that's happened to me too. So it was one of those rare moments where I was like, oh, I get I get to kind of choose when to go and, and make it feel, to me at least, like I had done my job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really cool. And now I get to go into this new thing. And and also, Rachel, like, I had wanted to work with Jimmy Iovine since I was a child. I can't even imagine. Like, he was the first name on the back of a record that I ever saw that said producer next to it. So if That's you think about cool. manifestation, like, which I do. Bro, that's my shirt. There you go. Right? I, 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 believe, I believe in it so much that I know that I don't do it enough. <laughs> Here's the thing that people get twisted about manifesting. It's, it's We're hard. always manifesting. Yeah. It's just, are you manifesting with intention? Right. And the, but the, keeping intention at all times, like, like, that's, I'm sure you do that. Like, that's Ryan Reynolds. He's that guy. <laughs> Like, you Which know, is why he's a billionaire. That's what I mean. I keep saying he's a master manifesto, he really right? Is. Like, like Drake is a master. Beyonce, Jay Z, master manifestors. Yeah. At least in the entertainment business, I'm just referring to those people. The people who sort of go out there and just like change the course of energy and shift the time and space. You can't go to Wrexham. <laughs> I'm. You, 
Do you know how hard that is that... to take a team and inspire an entire organization to want to come out of the lower leagues and climb up to the upper leagues? But it's also like... to make a TV show about it, to change the value of the... I, they're he's a so master smart. It's, it's upsetting he's how ma- smart. He's figured it out, right? Yeah. Whereas most of us, including myself, we do it at times with real intention and purpose and things change for us. And sometimes we just live in our life. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm just living my life. I'm tired. I'm yeah. just trying to figure it out. Like, maybe I should be... Should manifested and I'm like fuck off yeah. <laughs> I'm exhausted you know I can't do anything I, right my now my only intention is to go to bed right so right. so but you know as a as a family we knew that that what was on the horizon that that had been to some degree manifested over time we knew there would be a change probably LA seemed like the obvious place to go it was halfway back to New Zealand our families were getting older <clears throat> you know our nephews and nieces were getting older we wanted to get back to our family unit but we didn't weren't ready to move home and so you know LA seemed perfect, and here's Jimmy Ivey, and I finally get a chance. Right at the tail end of his music era as well, I get that last round of mentorship, which continues to this day, but, like, thank God, you know. Is there anybody like him or anyone else that you've met, and you're cool, but on the inside you're shitting yourself because you're so excited? Oh, I was shitting myself, but not just because I was excited. I was shitting myself because he's no fool, and he... You know, you better bring your, your best idea and you, you better not waste time. And I mean, the amount of times I tried to just fill the room with some shit, thinking it was a value. And he's just like, so anyway, just move on. <laughs> I mean, he's, I've never seen anyone, Eddie Q is like that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I can say that, Sam. I mean, I, I, I think he's so, he's so incredibly smart and intuitive in terms of working side by side. Well, not side by side, but working, seeing him at work is, is incredible. Um, and that continues throughout the the, the 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 company at that level. Everyone is just so dialed into what works and what's good and how to make it better and how to do it the right way. It's a very inspiring place to work. Um, but Jimmy, I've ne- never seen anybody so efficient with time. Like I've seen him checked out until someone said the right thing and then he's checked in. Mm. He's like, I'm doing something that's important. And then if you get my attention, now you're important. And it's focus on this. He's just focus, focus, focus guy. His thing is just focus. And then, and then while I'm gassing, gassing my mate, he sees around the bend with like laser sharp focus. He just has the ability to see what's coming and what could be make it better. He just, he just knows to the point where he gets frustrated if you don't. <laughs> He's like, why, did, why can't you see this? It's so clear. And I'm like, because I'm, I can't I'm see not a that prophet, far around bro, the corner, I'm bro. That's your skill. Yeah. Teach me. And, yeah. I'll, you know, and so you do get better being around him, but that's just his innate ability. He's just dialed in. He's just dialed in. I heard him say something on an interview years ago, and I was so frustrated with the interviewer because they didn't follow up on what he said because right. I thought it was so genius. Mm. He said the problem with people today, and he was particularly talking about artists and athletes who come up, mm. is that they don't know how to cast their life. They don't know how to cast the players of their life to set them up for success. That's Jimmy. And I was like, explain this. And they yeah. just kept going. And I was like, somebody, I that, mean, it's such a good line. I mean, it's somebody who he cast. Yeah. That's wild to hear him say that because I, I was there when he offered me the job. And it was two minutes after I met him. Shut up. I, I, I was supposed to go meet him to see what he thought. And we went for tea. First of all, <laughs> I'm just going to tell the story. We were in the lobby waiting, me and my manager friend, and he just walked out of the lift. He didn't know where we were or who we were, but he just lifted his hand up and went this way. 
so we just followed him because it's like such a boss yeah. move. It's just like, you know, just come on, pipe, come on piper, whatever. Let's go. You know I'm here. Come on, follow me, right? <laughs> so we walked, we followed him. It was amazing. I loved that story. And then we just sat down and he just went, so let me, and he said, and he said something to this effect. I'll see if I can get it right. He said, so, so anyway, I, one of the things I know how to, that I know like how to do is I just know when someone's right for something. I just know. And don't ask me how I know. I don't know. I just know. And he gave a couple of examples. Like he gave a Gaga example and a couple of other things very quickly. Like, you know, I just knew and I knew and I knew. Uh, so anyway, some people that I know who know things told me that you're someone that should do this job. And I agree. You should do this job, take a job. It's like two minutes in. I mean, I, I didn't even had a sip on my tea. And it's just like, take the job. To the point where I was like, this guy can't be that. Like, this is ridiculous. Is he like, blowing smoke? We haven't like, even spoken. This, yeah. We didn't even know who I am. And yeah. then he just qualified. He was like, look, here's the deal. Right now you're at the top of your game here. But someone's going to come up behind you. And you're not going to know until it's too late. And you're going to look left. And they all, I'm looking right, you look right, and they're going to be on the inside lane, and you're going to be like, oh, and they're just going to have too much momentum, and then you're going to be figuring out, like, what do I do next? And he's like, the only way you can avoid that is if you just change lanes. You're in charge. Change lanes. So that's why I changed lanes. Wow. That was it. He's amazing, man. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, him and his family have been incredibly cool to me and mine, and we're very, very grateful to have them in our lives. Cool awesome. people. Are you an ambitious person? What a great question. What a great question. I I think I am. I think I don't try not to wear it. I think I try n not to let it control me and feed the side of it, it, the human experience that can make it more important than anything else. I like ambition with balance. Mm. I like growth over time and I like experience that takes time. Yeah, it's the long game. And sometimes I get frustrated that it's not happening fast enough because I'm having a day where that, that my ego is just peaked and I'm like, why is that happening? And I'm not, what the, like just that thing. That's when ambitious, that's when I think if, if you let that ambition take control, I think you can drive pretty erratically on your road to life. You know, I think you can sacrifice friendships and just do things and you may eventually get there quicker and bigger, but I don't want to turn behind me at an end of a great life and see a whole lot of like wrecked cars and rubble. Like yeah. I want like just real balance and joy. I'm about experience. I'm about excellent experience. And um, I'm really grateful if my ambition helps to serve that and to make better experiences every day. I'm really grateful if it gets to provide better opportunities to do cool things and things I love. I'm really, I really like what ambition if you use it, helps to provide. Absolutely. But I don't want it to ever sacrifice anything. I don't like when it when it chews things up or it becomes the thing. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I never have. And I think what I've learned is I, I, I do get there. You know, I am the proverbial tortoise. You know, I do get there. I'm not really racing anybody else. I don't really look left or right. I'm just doing my thing. Now, I mean, back in the day when I was younger, I'm sure I'd be like, ah, like everybody. But now I'm, I'm really, really content and happy. Just keep just like building on what I've already built. And I like where I'm going in my life. I'm going to be 50 this year. Are you? Yep. And I'm What's your birthday? August 7th. Okay. I am a Leo. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, just in so case I've been wondering. told I am a Leo. That's what I keep being told. I'm excited about the next 10 years. I'm really excited about it. 
Yeah, I turned 40 this year and I was so pumped for this decade. Yeah. Yeah. Every new decade. It's like Oprah, every time she turned a new decade, she'd be like, this is the year. This is Guys, the... this is the decade. And she's just going to keep doing that as long as she's around. So. I think that's... A, well, my mom has dementia, and I've seen this in real time. She tries to hold on to what's important to her. And I think a part of me now just wants to be as engaged in the in the, in the, in the, the great experiences, be it up, be it high and low, you know, challenges and triumphs. I just want to be present as much as possible keep doing the work that that cuts away all the other stuff and stay in the moment as much as i can so that you know it's a blink of an eye i'm, I'm actually i'm not afraid of it being the blink of an eye because i think then i was just in it yeah i wasn't really looking behind me or looking ahead of me too hard so getting back to your question about ambition ambition requires foresight i have it but i don't want it to consume the moment i want to yeah. stay here and trust that if i do great work and try to be live a greater human experience every day and just be better and be of more service to my family and my friends and the people who invest in what I love to do, then opportunities will come. You know, I'm on this. I mean, yeah. I'm not even kidding around. Like, I mean, we've <laughs> joked about this a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, before things were sort of landing. <clears throat> you know, I wasn't really on the radar with podcasts of this caliber, you know. No one was thinking, oh, we'll talk to Zane and... And it's cool now that um, I get to sit down with you and have this chat because I feel like it's more a byproduct of me just consistently doing great work. Yeah. And maybe you're like, oh, okay, yeah. maybe he's one of us. Yeah. Rather than me sort of kicking doors down and going like, check it out, I've got this hunger. <laughs> Which is also the trend now is just to sort of stand on the top of the building and scream about all of the things that you're doing mm. as opposed to going back to that idea of intentionality and making really good choices I, I'm curious, though. Well, the feeling is different. Can I say one yeah, thing? Of I prefer the feeling when I'm internalizing it and experiencing it quietly and privately than I do when I'm doing it emotionally. Mm, I don't, can you explain the difference? I don't know if my feelings. When I'm emotional about something, I'm emotional. I, I, I try to separate the two things. It's a byproduct of a feeling, but it's not the feeling I'm searching for. The feeling I'm searching for is a something that makes me. Um, I, I don't want to scream about something when I'm feeling it. I want to mm. just. I want to get my eyes to water. I want to smile. I want to laugh for no reason. I want things to be surprised. I want my reaction to surprise me. Mm. So I, I do try to separate the whole like yelling about what I'm going to do or whatever. I just don't think that's the intention I'm after. Yeah, I'm after the thing which I'm sort of experiencing almost on my own or with a friend. And then I know, wow, my life just changed. I just don't know how yet. Do you know mm, what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, something you can feel in the air. Oh, it's shifting right now. We're evolving It's right a tangible now. intangibility. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. You know? How do you stay this grounded with a schedule like yours? I just don't look at the schedule as being a reflection of my sense of ego. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I mean, maybe it's an outsider perspective. It seems yeah. from the outside like yeah. you are. You travel a ton. You're yeah. in a ton. You're doing a lot. You're pouring out a lot. I think I'm in service more than I am to others and more than I, I, I oh, careful. I think I'm, I think I'm in, I, I'm trying to be in service to multiple touch points and I'm not the only one. Hmm. And I think when you lose your footing and perhaps you're not, as you said, at, a most, at your most grounded, it's when a lot of external metrics of value are sort of dominating your identity and telling you this is what you are. You are worth this much to this many people with this much resting on it, with this many people who want you to keep going. And it's like, that's just numbers. 
I think that's what when people just lose their footing is because it's just it's all externalized. Mm. And um, my travel is a byproduct of wanting to get to the place to do the job or to have the experience. And when I get there, I just try to have the best experience and learn from it. And then the travel gets me home. And the schedule is just designed to do the best work I can, have the most excellent experiences I can, and best learning, and then go home. Because <laughs> I'm just really happy at home. Yeah. Do you have practices that, like, do you meditate? Do you do yoga? Are you, yeah. Do you work out? What's your, yeah. what are those habits that are sort of everywhere you're going, you're pulling those things in? Exercises become a, a non-negotiable experience for what's me. Your, what's your jam? Boxing is my jam. Boxing? Boxing training. Bro, how are your hands? It hurts. Yeah, I did <laughs> boxing for a while and I loved it. Yeah. Lots of aggression. The wrist's actually more than yeah. anything for me. Like, well, I, because I'm a writer. Right. And so I was like, I'm going to destroy my ability. Yeah, no, the wrist for sure. I mean, if I get the wrong angle, I feel it. But, yeah, um, it's such a good workout though. Uh, I just love it because it's it's mind and it's body and it's coordination and it's harmony. Like if... if like, first of all, the circuit training is just really fun. Yeah. Because like three, 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 yeah. three, three. By the end of like eight times three minutes, it's like you never get to stick around long enough for something to be boring. I do jump rope too sometimes for long periods of time. And after a while, I'm like, yeah, I'm getting real bored of this. Right. So I do other exercises. I do love yoga. I will get to meditation, but I'm just, I race too hard. And it's a practice I just need to focus on, you know. I think something like golf is going to help me get to meditation. Some other sport, Running which is. is what helped me. Right. Something yeah. that slows you down yeah. will help my brain slow down. Yes. But just sitting down and just trying to get my brain to slow down. I'm not very good at it's that. It's hard. Yeah. But the boxing for me is the most fun exercise I've ever done. It's an incredible community of people that I've gotten. Get, I'm getting to know at this gym. And, um, and like the one-on-one training, when they start to actually get you into the mindset of like, okay, I'm going to train you like a boxer now. Yeah. Like, first of all, your feet are all over the show. Yeah. And you're like, wait. Oh my, and then you realize that you're supposed to go there, there. And then every time you don't, you're like, wow, I am just a terrible at this. And so you have to get that right. Then you have to get your arms right and you have to get your positioning right. And then you have to think about the combos, but don't overthink the combos because you'll mess the combos up. And then when you mess the combos up and you dip one way instead of the other, he's going to tap me on the nose yep. and I'm going to be like, yep. so the whole thing is like, for me, again, really wanting to keep my mental sharp as I get older for personal reasons, you know, because of what I'm experiencing in my life right now with my mum and stuff, and also physically wanting to be at my best as I get older, it's the perfect balance of the two. And I, and I walk out of there and I'm just, I just feel like, you know, my mind and my body are just like stoked. Yeah. They're stoked. Yeah, yeah. You know? I want to talk to you for nine more hours. <laughs> I want to hang fun, out right? forever. Yeah, it's been really cool. Yeah, and I want to dig really into well. like all the things and keep going. But Podcasts you, have like return guests, don't absolutely. they? Absolutely. You we'll are forever a return guest. We'll I, have I'd you on to. forever. Thank you. This has been such an incredible treat. Like, honestly, well, I'm so jazzed that I got to sit down and hang out with you. Like I said, you know, I mean, I think for me, I've always felt like a bit of an aloner in this environment. Like, I've just done my shit, you know? And I think it's been nice to be able to kind of feel like people who have gone out there and taken the conversation in a very human level to a lot of people and have found a way to endear th themselves through their curiosity with like with guests and whatever and expand people's horizons. Like, you do this. This podcast is successful because you're good at it. It's your gift. And it's not just me gassing you. It's obvious. It's in the net. It's in the stats. So, you know, from my perspective, it's just nice to be invited. So thanks. Yeah. Well, I just want to acknowledge in you, we can see your passion. <laughs> and as a fellow music nerd, 
it's really cool to have found someone to consume media from a person who's not just doing an interview, but is genuinely in love with music. So thank you for that. What's your favorite 90s rock record? Oh, God. If you had to pick one. Oh, man. If you had to pick one. I feel like it's too much pressure. And I literally came here thinking, like, I should have a list of albums. Should I tell you you mine? Yes. Siamese Dream is mine, hands down. Oh, yeah, you said that. But then, like, super unknown as well. See... I love all music, and I promise Sam I will stop talking. I love all music, but if I was really going to do something, go. I'd go 70s. Really? Like what? Yeah. Fleetwood Mac is my all-time. All-time. Tom Petty. Do you have a Neil, Neil, like a Neil Young go-to? I love that you interview Neil Young, oh. and I love some of his songs. I know you want to punch me in the face. No, As cool. an icon, absolutely. You've got to go there, though. Yeah, okay. You, you have to go there. If that can okay. be my little passing, putting gift, like, Great. he understands the human experience, like, beyond here's a great way to start okay go and find as many of the live recordings that he's 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 capturing on the neil young archive as you can okay carnegie hall um there's like a whole bunch of them tiny little massy hall one just came out that they found from like a uc an old ucla crowd that when he was like and he's just like this is a song i wrote about my ranch and some cool guy on my ranch and i haven't released this yet i hope you like it and then he plays old man <laughs> And you just listen to this kid. He's a young guy. He's just yeah. playing these songs that have gone on to be timeless for 50, 60 right. years. And you realize he kind of, I said that to say, he kind of had the answer then. Mm. He yeah. is a manifesto, yeah. that guy. I promise I will go listen. Great to Thank meet you. Thank you, brother. Thanks. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas, Register today at thisisils.org.